Hello and welcome to Sojourners in the Storm Bible Study um, and podcast. Uh, I just uh, I hope this message is reaching you in a in a well manner today. Um, you know it's been beautiful down here in New Mexico the last week. We've been getting a ton of rain, which is helping us out with the drought situation over here. Um, but uh, you know with that let, enough small talk, I guess. Uh, let's get to it. So we're in First John chapter three again. Um, and this is chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 that we're going to cover today. And uh, the title of this message is Love Let's Go. And you'll find out a little bit more about that a little bit later in the study. So with that, let's get started. Uh, Father God, Lord, thank you for this time again, Lord, that you have the opportunity to get into your word, Lord, to delve into it. Father, that as we, uh, I pray that as we delve into the word, Lord, and as we uh, you know, seek the truth and the meaning behind it, Lord, that you would just uh, work on our hearts, Lord, work on our minds, work on our actions, Lord. Father, that as we examine the word, that the word would examine us and just change us, Lord, inside out. Father, that we would glorify you in our actions, in our changes, in our thoughts, and in the way we do things. Father, thank you so much for all that you do for us and all that you give to us, Lord. I just thank you and I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, once again, chapter 3, verse 10 through 15, if you have your Bibles with you. Now, rivalries are a big part of today's world. If you live where I live, or, or, and you see it all over the country, I'm sure, but where I live down here in Valencia County, New Mexico, we have a major rivalry that takes place. Uh, we have two towns. We have the city of Belen, and we have the village of Las Lunas. And they're separated by about 10 miles, roughly. And... Uh, you have two major high schools there. And so as far as rivalries go, uh, the rivalry between the Belen football team and the Los Lunas football team is a pretty big one. Yeah, I mean, it's major. You have to pre-buy tickets to get into this game. Um, for about a period of 20 years, we actually played the game during the daytime. Those were games that I was a part of. And uh, when I was a senior in high school, we played our first night game against each other in like 20 years. Now, the thing about this is, is you're playing against your cousins, you're playing against your neighbors, you're playing against relatives when you play in this game. But nonetheless, the intensity comes where if you're the away school and you're traveling to the other school, and you have to have a police escort. You know, it is a true rivalry. Part of the tradition of the game was we would go and we would, uh, you know, paint a big B in the middle of the Los Lunas field if we were going to play them. Or they would come paint an LL in the middle of our field. And, uh, you know, it, it went back and forth. It was shenanigans. But, you know, that's part of what a rivalry is. Now, suppose that we are in, living in some form of rivalry between two different families, whether it be the Hatfields or the McCoys or the Montagues or the Capulets. We are called or obligated to pick a side uh, in those families, right? We, we, we have our, uh, the battle lines are drawn, so to speak. Now, this is the way the world works in many cases. And today we see a great division in our country between Democrats and Republicans, leftists and liberals, Republicans and moderates. In all facets of life, the lines are being drawn over and over again. Now, for the believer, the line is clearly quit, uh, cut between belief and unbelief between God and the devil. Now, the way we confirm our family allegiance is going back and examining our faith 
morally. Now, any person can say that they believe, but a genuine faith shows that they believe without saying it. Now, the moral test of the believer, if you recall, is to love one another the way the, that God loves us, right? We are all part of God's creation, and God's nature is love. He loves both the believer and the unbeliever, but he gives special love to the believer because the believer chooses to love him back. Now, it's a fellowship that the world at large misses out on. It misunderstands the power of God's blessings on a person's life, and that comes with choosing to be part of the family of God. Again, it is not that God does not love the unbeliever. If he didn't, none of them would make it long in life. But God, in his awesome love, has given us all a choice, an opportunity to choose whom we will serve. In his grace, he has given us countless opportunities, and in his mercy, he offers salvation even in the moment leading to our demise. As we recall the testimony of the thief on the cross, right? He was about to die. He was being crucified. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, right? Because he believed on him. Uh, you know, being a Christian can last 30 seconds, it can last 30 years, it can last 100 years. It all depends on when we give our lives to the Lord. You know, God's love is endless, and so that, and so should be the love of his children, right? We are not here to be haters of men, but ambassadors of love. Not the, wor uh, not the world's version of love, but of God's divine and redemptive love towards others. You know, this is what separates the believer from the world, a divine love for others. It is how we are identified in Christ, what sets us apart from the world and the group that claims to believe, uh, that claims to believe, but only does so in name, but not in deed, right? So our main point for today is my salvation is marked by my love or hate for my brethren. Now, if we are truly to love our brethren, we must understand what love is. You know, as we have all heard countless times before, there's several meanings of the word love in the Greek. Um, we're going to go over three of them. Uh, you know, the first one, which is never used in the New Testament, is eros. Now, this is a physical and a sexual type of love. Uh, you know, it, it, you can better describe it as lust. Now, the Greeks of the time were very engulfed in this type of love. They worshipped the god with the little g, eros, and Aphrodite. Uh, sex was part of the uh, of the worship ritual of the two. Now, this seems to be the world's definition of love today, as we sit here in June and see advertisements for perversion around every corner. It's obvious who the world's love is geared towards. Second, we have phileo, that is brotherly love, to love the brethren with a family type of love. Now, it's the type of love that shares a common interest or a common family tie. Now, lastly, we have agape, which is the highest type of love. It's the divine type of love, an active type of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's sacrificial towards others, no matter what their, affliction, uh, their affiliations are. We sacrifice what we have and even our lives for the advancement of the gospel type of love, right? Now, for the good news of salvation, for all, through Jesus Christ, we love with an agape love the whole world. Now, our call to genuine faith is revealed in our action and our concept of love towards others. So in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. 
What, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So letter A, my actions reveal the nature of my allegiance. You know, as I stated earlier, we all have a choice to make in whom we will serve. There is no middle ground when it comes to serving God or serving the devil. Either uh, you are on the side of the God the Father or you are on the side of, uh, of Satan. Uh, you know, we cannot say we serve God, but pick and choose which parts of the Bible that we believe are true or that we're going to follow. And, and what we will believe and what we will uh, compromise on, right? You're either all in or you're all out. We are uh, uh, far too many in today's church are what I call, are what we like to call page rippers. You know, they take parts of scripture that are convicting and remove them as if they were not there. Whether it be in the name of, of politic, political correctness or Eros type of love, it happens all the time, right? This is how many cults are formed. For instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the Trinity of God, and so they rewrote their own version of the Bible to reflect that. The Mormons do not believe Jesus to be God, and so they changed their version of Scripture to reflect that. Thomas Jefferson did not believe that God acted in his creation and made his own version of the Bible, excluding all miracles. You know, these guys uh, all claim uh, to be deists, to hold a belief in a deity, even claim to be God-fearing Christians, but in turn are not children of the light, but children of darkness by denial of the true nature of God, the Father. You know, there is no middle ground. You're either of the family of God or you are of the devil. Of course, we all fall short, but our hearts towards God and our love for him implores us to go to him in confession and repentance. We are either of the heavenly family or the fleshly family. We are either holding on to our lives, uh, our old lives, or the old gods, uh, or we are letting them go, right? We are, we are making those changes in our lives. In Joshua 2, uh, 24, 15, it says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. My tablet is freaking out here. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or, or you know, are, are we examples of this verse are we holding on to the gods that uh the gods the sins the the habits that were holding us back before we came to the cross or since we crossed the river or crossed the cross or came to the cross and died with it are we letting them go and we're saying hey you know what you guys can do whatever you want but i'm going to serve the lord god that you know that's the the action we have to take right because we're all born into one family but we're reborn we're born again into the other right? We're all born separate from God, but when we accept the cross, when we accept the gospel, when we understand that Jesus is our Savior and ask him to save us from our sins, well then from that point on, we are to serve the Lord, you know, and nobody else. In, in John eight forty four, it says, you are of your father, the devil, and, and the desires of your father you want to do. He, has a, uh, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now again, there is no in-between. To cross the two families uh, brings about trouble in our lives as well. The Bible tells us to marry inside the family, not to be unequally yoked. Why? Because when you do, you're entering into a union with the person that has another father, right? They are of the father, uh, you know, of the family of the devil when they are unbelievers. And when you do that, you're going to have big problems concerning your father-in-law because the attacks are really going to come at you spiritually in a big way. You know, God's word is very clear. Do not cross the line. We uh, have very dis a very distinct characteristic when we live a life for the Lord, who is our Father in heaven. We are identified by the distinctives of our family name. So letter B, I am identified in Christ by my righteous character. The second part of verse 10 there says, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now what does it mean to have righteous character? Now it means to have a just form of love, an agape love. You know, God loves all people, but God justly honors the choices of each person in love. If a person chooses to reject God's love, he or she is not then struck down with lightning from heaven. That person goes on living a natural life, but in turn, his or her choice is honored after that life is ended, right? We may love on a person and love a person, and we should love all people, but we do not reward sin. We do not reward or embrace depravity. We justly honor their choice, if that makes sense, and, and warn them of the eternal consequences that their choice is leading to. You know, God does not force us to love him. I don't care what the doctrine of uh, irresistible grace and the Calvinist theologians have to say, we are all offered a choice and that choice is honor. Forcing a belief on a person is unethical and our ethics should be uh, those of justice and not imperialistic. You know, there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But on that same day, God will justly honor the choice of unbelief and send to darkness all who reject him. You know, the opposite of justice is injustice. Injustice is hatred towards others. It's a belief that uh, all have to believe what you believe or you absolutely hate them. Injustice and unrighteousness is being selfish. It's not being sacrificial towards others. It's not living for, uh, it, it is living for yourself, for your ego, your reputation, and your stature. You know, think about it. Think about where an ego will get a person. Yeah, uh, you know, if you look at Satan and his fall um, in Isaiah chapter four, uh, 14, verse 13, look at the things that he says. In verse 13, it says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest pits, uh, depths of the pit. You know, the mindset of Satan at, at the fall should say all we need to know about living for ourselves and not living for God. You know, the traits of unbelief are the exaltation of ourselves over every other person, and that includes the person of Jesus Christ. You know, the world can call it whatever it wants to, 
Uh, but we live in submission to the Lord. We are not above him. Just as Jesus lived in submission to the Father. What's going on with this thing? You know, we live in, to, in submission to Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, just as Jesus lived in submission to the Father, we live in submission to the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, who was sent by the Father. We are to develop the character of our Lord through the constant repentance of our old nature and the embracing of what we have been given in salvation and the willingness to give it over to others. Verse 11 says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. So let her see, my love for others is the core of my Christian faith. Now, loving others and giving to others is the core of our faith. You know, it's the ultimate form of righteousness to love others, to share the gospel, which we have heard from the beginning, and to be ambassadors of God to all. Loving others, not as an option, but as a mandate. It is not an option, but a mandate in our faith. You know, the false teachers of John's day, and even our own, did not and do not love the people that are outside of their beliefs and thus reflect that in the in their character but if god loved all of us enough to send his only begotten son to die for us we can at the very least be willing to give a few minutes to share the gospel with others in hopes that they too would be saved you know we can claim to be believers but again You know, our actions have to speak louder than our words. We've got to be actually believing on what we're saying and not just saying it. Uh, um, you know, we can't just be going to church on Sundays and living for the world the rest of the week. You know, being a believer means that we are believers all the time. We are not the visible church. We are the invisible church. We are those that God has worked inwardly in and changed us right and that is reflected in how we love others verse 12 says but not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his works were evil and his brothers righteous so letter D my actions are what give authenticity to my uh, to my claims now we are given the example of Cain who is the first recorded murder in history Cain claimed to be a believer and even offered sacrifices to the Lord, as is recorded in Genesis. Now let's read that. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 says this, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now the difference between Cain and Abel's offering was the fact that Abel was uh, gave the best of what he had to the Lord. He gave the firstborn of his flock. Uh, Abel's works were righteous because he gave the best he had. Cain's were not because he just gave uh, some of what he had, right? 
what led to the great sin was the envy that Cain had in God's accepting Abel's offering and not his own. Envy becomes jealousy and jealousy leads to hatred and hatred leads to murder. I think that this is the secret sin that many in the church hold on to when looking at others, uh, other brothers and sisters. If a person is used by God in a larger capacity than others, we all uh, seem to get a little jealous, right? But we should not be that way. That is a tool used by Satan to divide the family of God. We should be praying for one another, not secretly cursing each other. Uh, you know, if we let envy and jealousy control our lives, we can never really be fully sold out to the Lord for his service. We need to learn to go, uh, to let go of stuff like that. And maybe take an example from those that, that God is using and make adjustments to our lives. First testing what we see against the word and then praying and re uh, repenting if it holds up. You know, if we hold on to every envy and jealousy and hatred, then we are only outwardly, outwardly professing faith that is meant to change us inwardly. When the storm comes, those that hold on to sin seem to be swept away in worry and trials. But the truly sold out have the resolve of, uh, to weather the storm. And make no mistake about it, the world is coming for the believer. The outwardly professing visible church is always coming for the invisible church to tear those believers down and bring them to their level. You know, misery loves company, and nobody is more miserable than Satan, knowing his demise is at hand. You know, the world seems to think and have the idea that he's the king of hell, and then he makes the rules, but on the contrary, he is like all unbelievers and rebellious individuals, sent to hell and punished just the same. And in knowing that punishment is coming, he is always looking to pull individuals down with him and will use his minions and unbelievers to do that work. In verse 13, it says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Letter E, I will not allow the world's hatred to separate me from God. You know, we should not all be that surprised when the world hates us. We are different from the world. When the world, as we are seeing more and more, sets a standard, the world is not accountable to it. When a believer sets a standard, he is held, a believer is held to it, right? We live lives of accountability and discipline. In John chapter 15, verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now think about that for a second. What did the Pharisees and the Sadducees constantly try to do to Jesus? You know, they tried to catch him in his him in some sort of sin, right? They weren't able to do that because Jesus did not sin. Um, they tried to catch him in his words, but everything Jesus was telling them was, you know, basically scripture uh, and confirming scripture and explaining it in the way that God intended it to be explained. You know, if he healed on the Sabbath, they tried to stone him. If he said only God can forgive a man his sins and then make a lame man walk, removing a disease that the religious leaders believed to be caused by sin, they tried to stone him. When he was put on trial, no claims made against him were able to stick because he was blameless. You know, our example of overcoming the world's hatred is to be as Jesus was, and that is blameless. The world will do all it can to grab onto a believer and drag them down. 
Any loose thread or handle we give to the world will be a means by which a jealous or envious person grabs a hold and pulls you down. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly. That means to walk carefully. Be suspect of what you're doing. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand that the will, or what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, we've got to be careful in what we do and what we say. We need to be abstaining from evil and keeping our eyes on the Lord. We are not alone able to defeat the world, but with God as our example, as Jesus as our Messiah, we have a way. We are no longer to be held back by sin or pulled back into it when, the, uh, when we are in God's hands. But we are past that, right? We move past that. We have God as a means of conquering it. We are new creations separated from death by the eternal life that we find in Jesus. In verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. You know, my love for others is proof of my salvation. Letter F right there. If we have indeed been saved, we have been removed from the works of sin to the gift of uh, of grace, right? We are no longer dead in our trespasses, but are reborn into the kingdom of God. That means that we are no longer bound in sin, but are to be removed from it and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If sin is selfish, we are selfless, giving, loving, caring, and sharing. You know, if we love God, we need to be loving like God. Share with others our material possessions when we have the opportunity but most importantly, share the gospel, which is what people need the most, right? If we are unable to love others, as the world clearly states, we must wonder um, if we're even saved or not, right? We must not harbor any hatred in our hearts towards others. We have a lot to, uh, we have got to let go of jealousy and envy. Now, I think we really need to inspect the fruit of others and see if they are genuine or not. Association can sometimes lead to re regression, and we have to gain on, and be uh, again be circumspect in our walks. On the other hand, we need to be examples of grace and love to backsliders and assist in their walks by our actions. Right? We've got to be humble. We've got to use discernment in what we're doing. Um, be prayerful because we have been saved. We have liberty as believers, but liberty should not be taken as a means of abusing grace. We should be constantly moving forward in our faith and growing in it and moving away from sin. You know, the more we learn about God's love for us, the more we should love others. If we are cold, how can we say we love God? If we are ignoring God's call in our lives to love others, we are rejecting his love. He overflows our cups with his love, and we should be drawing on that love to pour onto others. He gives us more than we could ever ask for or deserve. Therefore, we have no excuse for not loving others out of that bounty. You know, we can easily be, be deceived by our own thoughts and actions. Love starts with forgiveness. If we are unwilling to forgive a person, we ourselves can hardly be forgiven. In verse 15, it says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, 
And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So letter G, murder is not just an act, it's a mindset that must be eradicated. Now, how many of us have ever held a grudge? You know, many people, uh, many times people say something offensive towards us or hurtful towards us. It's never really a, a very palatable experience, but it happens. And we need to be able to move on from that. Otherwise, the end result, again, is hatred towards another person. You know, murder, as we know it, is an act of taking the life of another person to extinguish their earthly life and usher in them into death. But we look at script, at, if we look at scripture, murder is also an attitude that comes before the act. You know, take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. It says, You have heard that it was said uh, to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there, uh, there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now what Jesus is saying is that if we are harboring anything towards another person, for any reason, we are in danger of judgment. I know it's hard to let go of things sometimes, and some of us come from families that practice holding grudges, but we need to let those things go. Remember, we are adopted children into the Lord's family. We are to take on the traits of our Heavenly Father, who has forgiven our sins and no longer remembers them. You know, we need to be the same with others. Holding grudges and harboring hate are not hereditary traits. They are learned choices that we make that can lead us to destruction. Remember what I said about being blameless. While holding a grudge, envy, jealousy, hatred, these are all the more than, more than a loose end. They're a hook covered in super glue with Velcro at the end and can easily drag us, be dragged down, uh, lead us to be dragged down by an unbeliever, by somebody that's coming for us, that's looking for us, by the world, right? And you know him, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Think about that from verse 15. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You know, we cannot ever fully experience the grace of God unless we have um, forgiveness towards others. You know, we need to repent of that and ask both forgiveness from God and, if at all possible, the person we have sinned against. Even if they were the offenders to begin with, our sin became uh, came because we chose to hate, not love the two wrong, and two wrongs don't make a right. No matter how we look at it or how we try to spin our logic, right? The sin of envy and jealousy are two things that we really, as believers, need to work through and get past because they are dangerous to us. If we are to be genuine, uh, the genuine article, we need to be able to stand up to the test of time. We are not just believers here and there. We need to be believers all the time. Now, if we have uh, a loose end, time will break us down. This will harden our hearts. This will lead to more sin, uh, more sin. You know, stay clear of this and watch what God will do for you. Instead of dragging uh, a brother down that God is using, pray for them to be used more. 
In doing so, God is using you without you even knowing it. You know, we are called to live lives of the highest form of love, agape, active love. Let us do so by loving our brethren and those of the world, because each person out there is precious. Every soul is of value, and every man can be brought to repentance through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, holding on to grudges, holding on to uh, stuff like that, it's only going to hurt us. And yes, we are separated between two fathers, right? We have Father God, and we have Satan out there, right? We, as believers, choose God. We've got to be all in on that. And being all in on that means that we have to learn how to love others, forgive others, bless others, pray for others. All right, we don't condone sin, but we also don't condone our own sin and holding grudges and stuff like that. With that, let's come to a close. Father God, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you again, Lord, for your message. Lord, thank you for the conviction that this um, portion of Scripture has brought to, to so many in our group, Lord. Uh, and uh, Father, I pray that you just continue to work that out in us, Lord. Help us to you know, get over these things that are holding us back, that are dragging us down, Lord, that we would bring in those loose ends and that we would be blameless as you are, Lord. Father, I thank you and I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So just as a side note, uh, you know, th this uh, is recorded a little bit after, you know, a couple days usually after we do our uh, actual Bible study. And so Sojourners in the Storm is a, a ministry that the Lord put on my heart to start at, during March of 2020 when uh, the coronavirus was uh, a big thing and, you know, churches were closed. And, uh, you know, here in our state of New Mexico, uh, we had about a three-month period where churches were closed. Uh, you know, I really missed the studies. I missed the fellowship. I missed being able to pray with other people. And and be around other people and so you know the Lord put it on my heart to start this Bible study and uh, we've been operating through zoom now for 15 months 15 or 16 months and um, you know we've gone through two two complete books and we're halfway through our third one now with first John we've gone through James we've gone through Daniel and you know what we do is we get together we kind of have our little small talk we fellowship a little bit we go through the message, the same message that you guys are getting on, on this podcast. And after that, we take some time and we discuss these things. And, you know, every once in a while we'll get a topic that really impacts us. Normally something doing with prophecy and stuff like that. But the impact that this message had, holding grudges, you know, letting go of those things, be murderous in our heart. That really struck a chord with all of us, including me, because, you know, we do do those things as people. But we remember, we got to remember that we are in God's family, right? We've got to let go of those things. And, uh, you know, for me personally, some of the greatest blessings in my life come when I've let go of those things. Um, I don't like to share too much of my personal life, but, uh, you know, when I came to the Lord, when I got saved, it came after a breakup with uh, you know a person that I had known and been with for about 14 years we weren't married we weren't saved we were living in the world um, towards the end there we actually 
had uh, found out that, uh, you know, she was pregnant and that was something that we were working towards. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, we found out that it was a miscarriage. And two weeks after that, we broke up. And, uh, you know, come to find out that, uh, you know, one of us wasn't very faithful. And, uh, you know, when, uh, when that all took place, you know, everything split up and everything went away. And, um, you know, it was tough. And I did hold on to a grudge for a little bit there for a while because, uh, you know, people really hurt you. And usually it's the people that come, that are closest to you that hurt you the most. And, uh, you know, it was tough to deal with. But one night in Bible college, we talked about this kind of stuff. We talked about holding grudges and, and making it right with people, right? Whether um, they hurt you in the first place, you're still hurting them because you're sinning against them, right? And so, uh, you know, one thing that I did was I, I, I wrote out a letter, handwritten letter in, in, you know, 2018. Think about that. And I mailed it out to her. And, you know, I basically said, you know what? It didn't work between us. You know, I'm praying for you. I'm sorry for all of my shortcomings. I hope that the man that you're with now is a better man than I was. And, uh, you know, I blessed them. And after that, man, talk about a weight coming off your shoulders. Now, I know this is kind of getting a little bit lengthy in, in, in this podcast and stuff like that, but I wanted to share that with you because there are real-life examples of letting go of those types of grudges, those types of envies and, 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 uh, and, and even hatreds. You know, when you let them go, it's freeing. It's a freeing experience, and God can use you more because you're not holding on to baggage. You know, the less baggage that you're carrying, the more that God can give you to deal with right? Because your hands are free at that point. So until next time, guys, God bless you. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.